0: So dear friends, um, this session is not so much uh, to do with an anointing I can release as speaking to our future or our potential. I'll get to it in a moment because, I I think because of the nature of it, I think we should pause a second time. Jonathan prayed effectively, but I think we just pause a second time. We ask the Lord if the grace that we are meant to have, or could have in this thing might, might really come upon us. You'll find out what the thing is in a minute. And Father, I thank you that grace is available for all things to which you call us. And we seek that grace. I ask that the giftedness and power associated With uh, these subjects, with seeing souls in darkness and hardness turn to Christ, that you would grant us power to win souls, power. You said you'd you'd be my witnesses after power comes upon you. We pray for that, I ask Lord grace for all the pastors present, all the churches represented, all the families represented, that grace would flow in accordance with the things we'll now share. And I pray, Lord, that a year from now, things will be different, there'll be wonderful reports. And so we give praise to God for what we believe, we shall see, and thank you, Lord, Yes, amen. Um, There are some common needs we all have, and um, this has to do with the conversion of people we know and love. But prior to getting to that, if I could just have a few words about what we might call sovereign conversions. What I really wanna do is refresh your faith or perhaps give you a new faith, a new perspective, a new hope with respect to gospel power. There have been periods, of course, in the history of the church, and there are always some nations in the world in which the the gospel just seems to have great power to run right through. You take Cambodia as an example, prior to Pol Pot, or prior to the rise of the Khmer Rouge and their encroaching threat upon Cambodia and the civil war that led up to his rule, his his vicious rule, Uh, up until that time, Cambodians generally, were deaf and blind to Christ and the gospel. They were hardened. There were churches and missionaries there, but there were very few believers, very small work. The work had been there 50 years already from the 1920s, but it had not really gone anywhere. But all of a sudden things were different. And just prior to Pol Pot taking the capital, a revival broke out, huge numbers, Became Christians, all kinds of miracles. You can read about it in books that have been published. And then, there were, but then there was uh, four years of Pol Pot, another sixteen years of warfare, because things under Pol Pot were so bad. The neighbouring communists invaded to deal with him. And uh, anyway, it's a whole history. It wasn't wasn't until 1993 that the United Nations, you know, constituted Cambodia all over. But an astounding change had taken place and it was easy to preach the gospel and people everywhere turned to Christ. For one thing, they knew that Buddhism had failed them, but everyone had heard about Jesus and they were interested in that. So there was a change, change of atmosphere, change of spirit, change of heart, change of interest. And of course, there are now churches all over the place. Well, Probably the heart you take from that is to say that, well, no matter what you see, God is at work in history, preparing times and seasons and places. The kingdom does advance and he has an ultimate purpose in mind. And you must take heart to believe that he has an ultimate purpose for Australia and for America, like for Western nations, which are really spiritually, you know, uh, not in a great place and um when I keep praying and believing it will turn, especially for this nation. Something must give. Something must turn. Always looking for, you know, a fresh awakening. Certainly, in the history of England, it was when things were the most dire. There was one point in history where it looked like the church would finally be snuffed out, only for a, not a moment later, and it was so alive and everywhere. You know, these these changes come in history, so we can, you know, we can pray and hope, and we ought to be praying into it. However whether or no, I think in our individual settings, your church and mine, we ought to be believing for sovereign conversions. In other words, I think we should start believing for it. The early-day Salvation Army, now admittedly, there was a great wave of the Spirit called the Second Great Awakening, which Gave to the rise of many Christian works, including the China Inland Mission and Barnardo's Homes and heaps of other things. So his name is one of those, and 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 soul winning and evangelism. Mind you, this was at a time when the churches were the other churches were just stuck in tradition. So it's not like it was there was life everywhere, but but somehow somehow what was it? The founder went through years of privation and poverty and finally stumbled on what was his destiny and the thing exploded. And within uh, 25 years Booth went from being one evangelist to being, um, what was it, 10,000 evangelists across 80 nations, brought millions to Christ. But they had uh, some principles. And one of their principles was that wherever you went You you found out who was the most notorious sinner in town, who was the worst uh, drunkard or the most notorious prostitute, and poured your prayers into their salvation, and invariably they got saved. And they were known as trophies of grace. And the general rule of the Salvation Army was you go for sinners, but you go for the worst. (laughs) And guess what they got? They got results. They'd have lots of prayer meetings, Friday nights. They'd have all Friday, all night prayer meetings. And they would expect to be baptized in the spirit every week. Now, they were just all out for gospel grace. And I've read they would, on, on the, in their Friday night prayer meetings, they would pray and believe God for the number of souls they wanted saved that weekend. And they would, they would believe God for 50 or believe God for a hundred and every weekend, that's what they'd get. Now, admittedly, they, they, they had created a momentum and then they were riding the momentum. And that helps, right? You know, nothing succeeds like success. Our problem is the, the locomotive we want to ride, ride is very heavy and it's sitting dead still on the tracks. And it needs someone to fire up the boilers. And, and you know, that first movement is the heavy one trying to get the thing moving. But stories in history are incredible. Um, David Wilkinson goes to New York, admittedly felt sent by the Lord, you know, and, and looked a fool at first, but he starts working, you know, we're trying to work amongst these gangs and the, the most notorious of all the gang leaders is this guy called Nicky Cruz. And, uh, you know, these gangs are out to knife each other and kill each other and drugs and all the rest. They, they planned a gang fight. Two gangs turned up to a David Wilkerson meeting, planning to break out and have this big fight in the middle of the meeting. And Nicky Cruz, the most notorious of the lot, sitting in the meeting, comes under conviction and gets so saved. There's a sovereign, there's a, there's a sovereign conversion. And I'm thinking, you and I have got to go back to believing for breakthrough conversions. If you start praying for it today, it doesn't necessarily mean you you get it tomorrow. But I think we have to say we must obtain gospel power. If you think about the Apostle Paul, here's a case where Paul had no faith in Jesus Christ at all, hated the gospel, hated Jesus, hated the church, was dragging believers off to prison and to death. But look at his conversion. Now, we're talking a sovereign conversion out of the blue. The very guy who hates it the most and is working against it the most is just clobbered. He's given no choice about his conversion. He's not asked, you know, would you make a decision for Jesus? He's just knocked down, blinded. And the Lord says, right, into Damascus, you'll be told what to do. Yes, Lord. You know, <laughs> that's it. Sovereignly converted, you're mine. <laughs> you know, it's as fancy as that, really. Sovereign conversions. We should still be believing for them. The grace of God. God calls whom He will call, and we should be believing to see more of it in that in that sovereign context. Lloyd Gill's father, Lloyd Gill. There, you're sitting in the front row. We're all. Oh well, and Lloyd. Thank you for your service. <laughs> that's that's a funny line out of a comedy show. But <laughs> anyway, here's Lloyd, uh, his his father's story is interesting because his father, you know, was a big drinker and had a whole lot of mates who were drinkers, and they were yobbos and you know, slinging off at Christian efforts, especially Salvation Army open air meetings, you know, and um, and so I don't know these guys that were. Well, your father was a bit interested to to yeah that, yes somehow <laughs> somehow they turn up at a Salvation Army open air meeting and Lloyd's father's standing there you know a bunch of yobbos and some Salvation Army guy puts a light pole in his hand we used to have these light poles for open airs in the dark hey, hold this for us will you <laughs> so he's holding the light pole and uh, and then now he's getting jekled and uh, you know jeered by these other yobbos So his attitude is, oh, I'll hold a slight pile if I want to, you know. (laughs) And uh, next minute, clobbered, you know, spirit of God converted, you know. (laughs) Hazel's great, great, great grandfather right here in the, he was a terrible drunkard, got converted here in the Salvation Army opening opening meeting right here in Rockhampton. Um, My great, great, great grandfather in England, same story, you know, alcoholics, these guys sovereign conversions uh, when I the, the more I've reflected on my own conversion years and years ago the more I realize it it wasn't me it was him the more I think about that I had been sitting in churches for five years I'd heard the gospel every week for five years and even though I generally believed like everybody else it hadn't made an iota of difference to me and, and even that weekend, I'd sat under that evangelist who had preached seven times hours of gospel stories, hours of appeals, multitudes of others getting saved. It didn't touch me at all. It was up to me to get saved. I never would have been saved. But all of a sudden, no choice, you know? Well, yes, you had a choice. You could, you could resist all you like, but the, the compulsion, you know, you, you were called. Now this is, this is sovereign acts of God. And I think we should be believing for a a greater uh, incidence, a greater evidence, you know, a more powerful moving of the Spirit of the Lord on our meetings and on our lives. And um, what you don't pray for, you never get. But what you do start praying for, you draw near to and It's amazing what you see unfold. Years ago, when I first came to peace, this was in the early 90s, I was talking one day to a fellow called Dr. Murray Lean, who was the pastor at the time of the Biloela Baptist Church out here, Biloela's town, about two hours drive away. And he told me the story. He said that um, when he was a boy, a young man, teenager, he grew up in the Biloela Baptist Church, but then went off to the ministry and became a Baptist pastor and had spent you know, years in other churches. But with the passage of time, and by now I guess he was in his 40s and more, he got called to that church. So he came back as the pastor of the church that he'd been a youth in a long time before. And he said one day he was cleaning up and emptying cupboards out the back of the church, because you know what those cupboards are like. And he said so he was cleaning out, and he said he came across this rolled up paper. big. Back in the old days, you know, you didn't have projectors like we have now, and this was all pre the overhead projector as well. So back then, it was not uncommon to have, uh, you know, like butcher's paper on big sheets of it and as an alternative to a blackboard. And he came across in the cupboard one of these rolled up, and he gets it out and unrolls it, and this was a list that 20 and 30 and and more years before, they had been using in their prayer meeting, they used to put the list up and these were the names of men in the town that they were praying for their conversion. Um, Relatives of people in the church, friends of people in the church, so here was this list of names and he said the astounding thing was he'd come back as pastor and the names he's reading are the guys he's got in the church and most of them are deacons and leaders. So he said, you know, like with the passage of time, this had an astounding outcome. This is real life testimony from right here in central Queensland. And I would think that despite the hardness of the culture and the hardness of people's hearts, the, the power of God to answer prayer like that has not changed. Our problem is we think that's a great idea and we make a start, but we don't persist. Like in other words, we we lose our way after a a few initial efforts, you know? So it doesn't become the consistent thing it it ought to be. But I just wanted to bring a word in this session to say I I think, look, look, history is full of sovereign conversions, many of which are quite outstanding stories. And I think we should say to ourselves, there should always be somebody that we're seeing come in. I know, for example, Don Drayson. Now, Don and Heather are sitting right over here. Uh, Don, wave your hand, and anyone doesn't know Don, just turn around and smile. Don, let's see who you are, there he is. Now, Don, Don was 50 years a pastor before I even met him 20 years ago. Like, no, I'm exaggerating, right? But he's he's been a pastor a very long time. <laughs> um, and despite his, his tremendous number of decades that he's racked up in life, and hopefully a few more. Uh, Even in his very mature years, Don and Heather always seemed to have a convert or two or three hanging around that had come in from the world, saved out of the drug culture, something like that, you know? In other words, you, you can obtain a grace by which there's always an edge like that at the same time, I know some of us go through these dry periods and, and um, not a lot of it happening, but I, th- I think the season has come when we've got to say enough's enough and let's, let's afresh believe the Lord for breakthrough in um, this area. Now, hand in hand with that, there is another matter that I think is everyone's biggest need. I would say there's not... A family here that doesn't have uh, loved ones in the family, perhaps very close in, in, with sons and daughters or brothers and sisters, or well, perhaps you know, the next stage out in the family where there are people who have, were in the faith but they're backslidden and cold and hard, or they never did find faith in growing, they might have grown up in the church but then slipped away and never did find faith, even though they were good people. Uh, or, for some other reason you 're burdened for them. I think this is for most people not only it 's not only a challenge it 's a sorrow And it, it for many people it it 's something that they pray and pray and pray about, but never see a change and the trouble is you can you can feel hopeless, you can feel like you pray about it, but there 's no power in the prayer and you, you, you're not seeing any breakthroughs and years become more years. And you, there's, you kind of give up, you, you know, there's hope there, but not much more. But I think we've got to try and, and do something about that. I was thinking to myself, can we, can we find grace by which uh, families more and more can see the actual conversion of their loved ones? Now, I, um, I sometimes ponder the scriptures on, you know, who's in the faith, who's not, uh, the state of hearts, what the Lord judges, the need to be consistent with faith, you know, you need to not fall away. And, and you can think there's a lot of things outside of our control with respect to what goes on in people's hearts and minds and choices and the friends they choose and the life they choose and all the rest. And it can all seem too hard. But I just felt to say in this session, I think what we ought to do is refresh our spirit to really start praying for people like this, uh, getting off the that back foot of feeling, you know, hopelessness, and getting onto the front foot of of saying, look, I, no matter what appearances, I'm going to believe God and press into the Lord and hold on to God and look for miracles. Charles Finney reports in his book, um, Lectures on Revival, he reports a case of a woman who had had um, two children, a son and a daughter, who I gathered were now young adults, but were away from the faith and worldly. and, And she was so burdened over their salvation and their lostness. And she came to him, you know, for help and counsel and prayer and you know, he did his best to encourage her, but here she was despairing. But in her seeking God, she, the Lord gave her a word and it made all the difference. You know, it released her heart and she got the breakthrough. Because uh, in her prayers of desperation, the Lord came to her with a, a verse or a, a phrase actually, from the prophet Isaiah that says, your children, I will save. And she saw the conversion of the kids. In other words, she, she so sought the Lord and pressed into God that the Lord gave her a word. And and um, this made all the difference. I think I just wanted to encourage people to take up the cause afresh, but to look for breakthroughs, look for shifts. Uh, the kind of prayers you might have to pray might not be unlike the prayers of Hannah which you have recorded because she was childless and praying for a son that she said she would dedicate to the Lord. She went on to have many other children, but she needed a breakthrough. And so she got to that place where she so extended herself in prayer that the high priest thought she was drunk, but she had so extended herself in prayer and she got the breakthrough. And it might be that you need to pray like that We'll take the case. One of the stories that encourages me the most is that of St. Francis' conversion because um, his mother was a godly Christian and uh, she wanted to call him John after John the Baptist when he was born. His father insisted he be called Francis and his mother was a very godly woman but his father was a godless merchant, a wealthy guy. So there's a lot of money in the family and uh, Francis grew up worldly, uh, love of partying, love of pleasure, you know, a, a wanton life. And, uh, you know, so the nightlife was big for him. But his mother prayed and prayed, poured so much prayer into him. And uh, she wouldn't quit and she wouldn't give up. And here was Francis, totally careless about all of that. And, and living the most worldly life and had plenty of money to do it. But it was when he was about 22, give or take, and coming out of a party one night at, uh, you know, late in the evening, 11 o'clock or something, you know, he'd, um, coming out of a party and stepping into the street right then, out of nowhere, the Spirit of God came on him, took hold of him. I mean, how do you describe what happened He stepped out into the night air and was instantly filled with the love of God and the sense that the love of God was in everything. He was was possessed by the love of God. He saw the love of God in trees and birds and animals and he, 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 he himself was so possessed of it and found it in everything. It was in the stones in the street. You know, and he went on to live this very unusual life. And uh, so, you know, it was, you know, he'd come past a tree and the birds and he'd stop and talk to sister birds, you know. And th- you know, thank them for all the praise they were giving to God. But, but the animals seemed to know. They're quiet and listen to him, you know. Like this was really unusual guy, right? The story is told of a, of a wolf uh, that had gone mad and um, had killed a few people. The villagers were afraid to venture out into the fields. St. Francis comes along and finds out about it. And he goes out into the woods and finds the wolf and, and has a good heart heart talk with the wolf. You know, our brother wolf, you know, your behavior. And, uh, you know, this won't do, but if you'll come with me, uh, you know, the villagers will take care of you. So he comes back in, the wolf trotting happily beside him. The wolf lived in the town. The villagers took care of it. You know, like this is astounding stuff, right? But, but go back, his mother would not give up. So she was possessed. He became possessed, you know, but of, of something. She was possessed of the Holy Spirit, like passionate prayer. He became possessed of the love of God. That, that story gives me more hope than anything. Our, our problem is we don't pray like she did. <laughs> but I'm, I'm thinking, can we find faith to believe for some miraculous outcomes in souls all over again? Can we get back to a little bit of what the Soviet army found when they said, you know, find out who's the most notorious sinner in town. Start praying and believing. They're going to get saved. And... Um, Anyway, your children, I will save. I'll show you that scripture in a moment. Uh, In my case, you know, I have some of these burdens in the family, like most other people, and I've had mixed results so far. I've had some real breakthroughs. I've had some others that need a whole lot more work. And uh, in the case of the breakthrough, you know, I had a uh, a son who was a great burden back years ago and uh, just with the state of his heart and the the anger that possessed him and you couldn't talk to him and but I was endlessly patient because I knew there were a whole lot of things I couldn't say to him and um, in fact one day you know uh, at the touch footy I was just standing there and they, you know a whole bunch of boys and other youth from the church were playing and Stepping off the field, you know, um, he had something to say to me that was that was very rude in front of everybody else. But I never said a word. Why? Well, Lloyd said to me afterwards. He said, "John, I felt very sorry for you." And I said, "Well, well, thank you, Lloyd, Lloyd." But I said, th- "I said it's just as well that I don't feel sorry for myself." I said because I'm I'm playing the long game. And. Um, I started pouring a heap of prayer into that. Four months of prayer, anguished prayer, everyday prayer, every morning, every night, crying out for pretty much not anything else much. And uh, one day the Lord gave me a scripture. I'll show you the scripture. Psalm 91 verses um, nine to 10. This is the thing. The Lord told me to go read Psalm 91 and I just thought I need that. You know, I haven't read that for a while. I was thinking of myself. As I'm halfway through, it said, If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. And your tent is your home. But it's also your family. You know, when we talk about the tent of David or the tabernacle of David, that's the lineage of David. That's father to son, father to son. So your. We talk about the, you know, you can talk about the house of, you know, the house of Windsor. These are generations. And so I took this meaning here, no disaster will come near your, your tent, your house. And I took this up with the Lord, you know, cause this to me was huge disaster. And, but the Lord kept talking and talking about my son because he loves me, says the Lord, I'll rescue him. Well, I didn't know he loved him and maybe he did and maybe he didn't, didn't seem to matter. The Lord wanted to get to the promise, I will rescue him. I will protect him. He will call on me and I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll deliver him. With long life, I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. Uh, that was the next bit. It didn't go up on the board yet, but put up Psalm 91 14. You see that phrase there, I will rescue him. Well, it didn't at the time stand out any more than all the other phrases. I just felt this is what the Lord said. And later in the day, he gave me another scripture from the Gospel of John, you know, that said that was the exact time that the Lord had said, your son will live. So, um, that was on a Sunday, and then um, I had to go to a prophetic conference in Brisbane, uh, in Sydney that week, and I'm one of the speakers, but the first night, the speaker was John Sanford from America. And he, he spoke about some matter that was very interesting, but at the end he said, oh, everybody just sit and you know, pray on your own. So I, I'm in the front row, because every, every time I had a minute, I'm back to prayer for this boy, oh God, you know, it was that kind of prayer, oh God, oh please, you know. Pleading prayer and had the most astounding and frightening experience where the Lord interrupted me and he was not happy. I said, I will rescue him. (laughs) I, 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 I sat back in the chair. I thought, man, he's serious. He expected me to believe. And um, it it gave me a release for days. I went around that time of that conference, just rejoicing. Lord, you said, Lord, I believe, oh Lord, I thank you. And then I got home into a different atmosphere, you know, back to reality. Uh, Reality is a qualified term there, right? (laughs) And first chance I get sitting in my office, I'm back to, oh God. And I had to stop myself because the natural emotion was to go back to that. I had to stop myself and get back to what the Lord said and basically force myself. Uh, you, you learn to do it. So it's not too much force. In other words, it's a choice to say, Lord, you said and get on to the rejoicing. Lord, thank you. This is what you're doing. And I, so I had to hold that line. I had to hold that compass heading in the prayer and not go back to the emotion. And um, yes, we got a huge breakthrough. Very soon after that, and uh, huge change of heart and somebody's life that had looked hopeless and you know, prospects forlorn became a um, totally different person and hugely accomplished and successful. And uh, so the message in all of this, you know, in thinking of other situations that still need prayer and still need the breakthrough is, is not to be overcome by hopelessness and defeat, rather seek the Lord for his word. If you've got nothing else to go on, seek the Lord, get the Lord to say something. And as I said yesterday, if he doesn't, go back to the book that's full of things he's already said. Use something in the meantime, because you've got to build yourself into this place where you get out of the hopelessness and you, you've got something that you believe. And this is actually true of all prayer. I, I have found over the years, there are plenty of things that you, where you begin is to seek the Lord for the thing you need or want. You ask, you pray but having prayed it through sufficiently, having, having laid your request before the Lord sufficiently, you must leave that phase of prayer behind and enter upon a new phase of prayer where you take a stand that says, Lord, you've heard my prayer. Now, it still needs daily prayer. And if it's serious, then multiple times in the day, but don't just stay on that first note of, Lord, would you do this? Lord, would you do it? Lord, would you do it? Because whenever you're praying like that, it's always future tense. You know, like the old tomorrow never comes. You've got to get off that and onto a note in prayer that says, Lord, you've heard and you've granted my request and this is what you're doing. So it's the it's the rejoicing. This is the positive confession. This is the expression of that Mark eleven twenty four that says, when you pray, believe that you have received it and it will be granted. You've got to bring that element in. So, you know, using the cricket analogy, I like using cricket analogies because it leaves the Americans out of the discussion for a while, right? <laughs> you, <laughs> you got to get off the back foot and onto the front foot. The get off the defensive Onto the offensive. Get into this place in prayer where you are rejoicing with a positive hope. And then you take that lesson and apply it to these sorrowful burdens we have. So turning daily so- the sorrow and despair and hopelessness into something that is more hope-filled and positive and purposeful. Because you've got to get to the place where you're making strong Confessions of faith over what God is doing for you and your family and for your neighbors and, you know, whatever you've got time to handle, really. Now, here's an important component. Oh, well, now, here's a look before I get to that. A couple more things. Yes. Isaiah 49 and verses 24, 25 is probably something to take to heart when you are praying for someone to be rescued. When you're up against something that looks pretty awful. The Lord's already spoken. Can, can the prey be taken from the mighty? Or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For tyrant think the devil. Think the world. The system. The culture. For thus says the Lord. Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken. And the prey of the tyrant be rescued, for I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. This is where that quote came from, that the Lord gave to that lady. Now, in its context, it's not talking about the actual salvation of your kids. This is talking generationally with regard to Israel. But that's not the point. The Lord is very adept. Not only does he have the ability, he does this all the time of pulling words out and applying them to you and saying here's the truth that will work for you and here's one I think you can stand on this he's already declared captives can be taken from the mighty the prey of tyrants you can rescue we build this into our faith so we come to the New Testament now there's an important component of praying for someone lost especially backsliding people backsliding Christians Especially family and friends, And I think is a good one to remember. Um, but we'll take the par- paragraph or the passage as a whole. John 20, verses 19 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so this is the resurrection appearances of Jesus, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, he didn't knock on the door, he just walked in. We don't even know that he walked in through the door. He he could have walked in through any of the walls, just walked in. Um, Probably gave him a fright. (laughs) Hey, fellas. (laughs) Not quite. What he said was, peace be with you. Now, the, the reason I've included the context is I wanted to highlight something that's not necessarily on this subject, but it's important for you to know. Notice his greeting was, peace be with you. You'll see it again in a moment. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Here's the telling point. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Now, see, we read that and it sounds like this was just written by some religious person, you know, filling out the story. It sounds pretty religious, right? Peace be with you. Sounds a bit soft, a bit namby-pamby. What what you have to realize is, these are actually critical declarations. This is not some soft greeting like Jesus being super nice. He's actually speaking words over them that have power, peace or shalom. If he was speaking Aramaic, presumably, you know, he's saying something like shalom. It's actually a very, very powerful anointing. It's, it's an impartation. You know, we spoke yesterday of impartations. This is a very powerful one he walks into the room and the first thing he does is place over them powerful grace. He places shalom on them, peace on them. Every, every time the apostles wrote to churches, they said, grace to you, peace to you. These were commands releasing anointings. These are, this is the power of the coming age. And so get used to the idea that peace is not just a greeting. It is powerful. And it's one of the most one of the two most powerful anointings in all of Christianity. So important that when you go back to number 6 and take a look at the prayer that God commanded Moses, well actually it wasn't a prayer, it was a benediction. It was a it was a commanded blessing. God commanded Moses to command Aaron, to command the priests to speak it as a commanded blessing over Israel every day. You'll all know it. You know, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And when you analyze it, the two component parts being commanded over Israel every single day was grace and peace. Come to the New Testament, grace and peace. Hugely important radiations of power being constantly spoken over the body. Well, here you've got an example of Jesus. It's almost like they didn't hear it the first time he said it. He's he's emphasizing this. Just be be aware of it for your own life, your own home, peace, shalom. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Now, Now we come to the bit that has to do with souls. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is prior to Pentecost. A lot of people don't stop to realize they had the Holy Spirit. Who knows how many times along the way, but here in a resurrection appearance to his apostles, he gives the the life of the Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit and it's anointing. It comes with gifts. It comes with authority and power because he says to them here, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I like the old translation that says, if you remit the sins. And we don't stop to realize that we have actually got some power. The church does, leaders do, pastors do. Mums and dads praying for their kids do. I often think about Job who every, who would offer regular sacrifices and prayers in case his children had sinned. And um, I actually think there is a place for you if you are praying for someone lost to be saved to specifically forgive them their sins as if you're representing the Lord, you know, speak forgiveness to them and ask the Lord. There's there's another side of the coin to this next bit. This is the Apostle John, 1 John 5, 16. He says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, um, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. The fact is, if, if there's a sin that leads to death, you're talking about an unforgivable sin, Look, you hardly ever encounter it. You, you and I are in no position whatsoever. We are never in a position to determine if someone has committed an unforgivable sin. It's so hard to define, it almost doesn't exist. I mean, you can. You can narrow it right down. But let's, But the, the old rule of thumb was, if you're worried about it, it's not you. Because <laughs> there's still some fear of God in you. You still want to be saved. Don't worry. It's not you. You can't make that judgment, but what you have been given here is a provision that says, this is a gospel provision, two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, as Jesus is saying, you have got a special role in releasing people from their sins. And at the same time, you've got a special role in asking God to forgive them for their sins. In other words, you you can do a great deal to help prepare the atmosphere, help bring a person to a freedom. It says if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, now it's a brother, so this is someone who's had faith, someone who's been in the faith, they're backsliding. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, now, here's the telling phrase, you can ask and God will give them life. That's not bad, is it? Like rather than have the thing sit there dormant in your Bible, it would be better to say, "Well, there's something here I can do. I might as well stir up faith, because even if I, um, even if it's only successful sometimes, that's that's better than nothing." But I just think there's something in it. I think it, in your prayers for lost people, I think you do business with God on their behalf very often, effectively. So these are. Look, I said all of that basically just to make these two points. One is, I think we should go back to really having a heart to see gospel power in the churches. The job of the church after all is to hold out the word of life. And the other thing is, let's find fresh faith, renewed energy like the mother of St. Francis. And and believe for some miraculous outcomes and um, continue to hold, I think, that positive, positive confession, no matter what you see, and believe for breakthroughs. Um, I've probably tired you out with enough talk, and so I was a bit loath to, uh, to touch on the subject of apostolic covering now, except to say this, in my first book, the apostolic revelation of which there are plenty here, still available. Um, Chapter seven in that book, the longest chapter in the book, the the central thought of the book, the central thesis, if you like, in that whole book was the subject of apostolic covering. And um, the purpose of spiritual covering is to place a protection and a blessing that comes from Christ. It's like the approval of Christ, the blessing of Christ. It helps to protect from bad things coming in and it helps to bring in good things. It's not everything because church life is more complex than that. But without it, ministries are vulnerable. Pastors and their wives are vulnerable. Churches are vulnerable, apostolic covering or you know, the, the kind of blessing an apostle can give is super important. Um, a lot of people who claim to be apostles actually don't even understand apostolic covering and even if they have ongoing relationships, um, possibly don't understand how to shoot this thing home. But for me, it's very real and you 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 pray and place, place not just the blessing of Christ, but the covering of Christ over a house. And something gets sheeted home that makes the difference and helps to clear away vulnerabilities. Very often healings take place and and so on and so forth. And I've had recent examples of it as well as examples, you know, over 20, 30 years. Now I suggest if if any pastor's present to. Want to understand that more, read that chapter, and then you know the Lord leads you as to who to relate to, who to walk with, you know but you must, you must put apostolic covering in place. It is a very important spiritual dynamic of of power, and I come across people all the time who are just plain vulnerable because they're trying to operate in the spirit and build ministries, and yet they are naked or partially naked. And those were the kind of dreams the Lord was giving me before I put absolute covering in place many years ago now. Dreams in which I was naked. And um, because that's a reference to you know what you need to be clothed with. Now anyway, I want to pray and um, just go back to our need to find grace for the saving of souls. So how about we take a few moments and Believe the Lord that He can um, lead us by His Spirit and position you very well in your in your faith and hope and your prayers. Philip, would you come and? Uh, well, yes, Jess, is it? Yeah, sure. Well, Jess, right, and um, just quieten your heart before the Lord. Just bow our heads and just soak his presence for a few moments. I think this is a moment in which the Lord might talk to hearts actually. We just need some silence for a minute or two and the Lord will have something to say to you about yourself, your family, your church. So I'm just going to give a couple of minutes for listening and let the Lord say Open the ears to listen to whatever the Lord might say to you right now. The gospel has never lost its power. You've said it is the power of God under the salvation of everyone who believes. But you've also said that those are being saved, whoever the Lord may call. We thank you for the call of God. Thank you for what came upon our own lives. Thank you for what has come upon the lives of multitudes of people in history. The call of God thank you for your power and your love your sovereignty and the moving of your spirit Lord you said amongst other things that the Holy Spirit when he has come would convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and our prayer is that we would see that great power the voice of and the presence of the Holy Spirit upon us and in our churches and upon our families and homes and neighborhoods and upon all the people we meet. You said we'd have power and be your witnesses. And so today we seek afresh that the word of God would live in us with power to the saving of souls. Lord, we want fruit-bearing for eternity. And I ask that wherever we go, the Word of God would come upon those around us, convicting and transforming and converting and the, the work of Christ being done powerfully and astoundingly and Lord, we seek your face for this today, that we might see again a whole fresh wave of the Holy Spirit, an awakening in our own times, an awakening of the careless multitudes around us, hunger for Christ. Lord, we, uh, we're only used to doing things the old way, but I ask you would lead us in fresh ways, the new way that every one of us might find our our prayers, our words, our service, our love and care of others so effective and so fruitful in the winning of souls. And I ask the Lord that today, you'd meet with everyone, every one of these dear ones here, the younger, the older, and uh, whether they're new in in the Lord or have known you a long time, I ask the Lord that you would come To every one of these, in these days as they meet with you alone somewhere, I ask that you would come to them and that you would reveal yourself to them and that you would put into them the power of the Word of God that in that in this area somehow you would give to every one of these brothers and sisters a promise. Give them a promise. Give them a word to believe, uh, to live by, to cling to, for you are a God who loves to make promises and keep them. Thank you for the promises. And so we believe God and look for what you will say to us today and tomorrow and in the coming days. My prayer Lord is that you'd make everyone who sat under this word very fruitful in the kingdom of heaven. In this we pray in the holy name, the wondrous name of our Lord Jesus. And I thank you, Lord. Amen. Two little stories I, I learned years ago that God loves to come to you and make a promise. But he likes to make a promise that is bigger than you think possible. And what honors him is when you choose to believe it against all odds. And that promise is usually something that is long-term. So there's, there is room there admittedly for getting off with the fairies, but the point is God loves to make a promise and keep it. Big example in the Bible of course is Abraham being promised a son. know but that kind of thing he likes to do to everyone who chooses to walk by faith the other thing that might be helpful is this that years and years ago um, the second church I was in I met a young lady who was a new convert came to the faith and she was she was a bright happy girl She was a nurse and cheerful in the church such a good testimony but she, she felt pregnant and that wasn't the problem. She had two kids and this was a third one and always happy. But in that first trimester, she got badly exposed to German measles and she didn't have immunity like, you know, rubella and all that. And it hit her with fear. She was so afraid of what was going to happen with this child in the womb that the light went out of her eyes. She, she just, um, the life she had, she just lost and she went dull and stopped coming to church and... Just just fear, loss of faith, anyway, I went out on the um, I was out on the mountainside one afternoon praying all afternoon praying about lots of things. It was a nice place to go really and um and there was you know there were these boulders you know and i um put had my Bible on a boulder, and i 'm praying about things i've got thinking about this girl, and it occurred to me um you know, scripture says in Psalm 33, he spoke and it was done. This is of the universe, you know. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood firm. And I thought, that's what we need. That's what I need for this girl. So I began to seek the Lord, it took about 20 minutes, seeking the Lord, pleading with God, would he speak a word? Because I was saying, Lord, if you'll speak, if you just speak one word over that girl, she'd be saved, you know, would you speak a word? So I sought, I sought the Lord and eventually, sure enough, he spoke. And um, told me what to do, and I went to visit the next day, and the light was back in her eyes. And when the baby was born, perfectly normal, healthy baby, you know? No, you know, miraculous outcomes, but in that case, it was over a soul, a lost soul. But I sought the Lord, Lord, if you speak, it's done. You know, if you'll just speak, she'll be saved. Get the sovereign acts of God, you know? So anyway, Uh, Back into it all with, you know, even more passion than before. (laughs) Anyway, thank you, and it's lunchtime.